Thank you. Thank you. If you look at the word cloud for just a moment, you'll see that you are in a Bible-believing church. Uh, one of the things we always want to make, uh, make clear to everyone is that uh, without the Bible, we would just be leaning on people's understanding and uh, we would just be thinking about, um, well, we'd be hearing what somebody else thinks. Uh, we want to make sure that the Word of God is, is central. And uh, when you open up the Word of God, you're going to find that it is the, the Scriptures that drive us to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, if you could uh, now, let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible Word as given in the originals. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1. Uh, I'd like to be able to read verses 18 all the way down through uh, into 26 and 27. Uh, this is the first letter or, that Paul wrote to the people at Rome. He wrote it to, uh, to folks that uh, in many ways are a lot like us. They were educated. Uh, they, lived in, uh, they lived with a lot of opulence. They had a, a defined government. Even though in this era the... Uh, the immorality was already permeating the leadership there. And uh, so when Paul was writing this, probably about AD 57, uh, which is about, um, you know, if, if Jesus went and ascended to heaven back at AD 33 or so, you can say that this is 20 to 25 years later. The Apostle Paul ends up writing in verse 18 of chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity and to dishonor their own bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And then in verse 26 he picks up, for this reason God gave them up to these strange and dishonorable passions. We will be getting into some of those in the weeks ahead. Uh, but right now, I'd like to just focus on the, the passages there, beginning verse 18 through 25. Uh, let me reread re them a little bit for you. Um, in verse 20 and in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. Okay, that God is opening up the curtain and letting people see this part of the character of God. God's wrath is now being seen and it's coming from heaven against the things, of, they call it the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Those two Greek words have to deal with it's, it's uh, the lack of righteousness and they also have a godlessness. And so when you realize that people live as if there is no God, the wrath of God is coming upon them and then it's in their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. We'll be looking at that today. 
suppressing the truth. And then verse 19, which is part of our text, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. That is an interesting statement. It's plain. Verse 20, for the invisible attributes, and then he lists some of the invisible things. He says they have been clearly perceived, and that's by people. And the reason for that is, is this next part, uh, ever since the creation of the world. I'm going to put an emphasis there upon the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So if you think about the things that are made, the things that are, things that we get to touch, feel, smell, taste, those things are all a byproduct of this creation. And that was all in verse uh, 20. So then he concludes, so these people are without excuse. And then he goes on to give us a little insight. For although they knew God, they did not honor God as God. They didn't give thanks to God. And so basically there was some, some things that happened because they didn't know God. Uh, they ended up showing themselves to be fools. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. In other words, the transcendent God, the God who isn't linked to his creation, the God who is not uh, a part of the creation because he made creation. He says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the things that are in creation, for images resembling mortal man and, and including the animals, the, the birds and the creeping things. As a result, we find that God gave them up to strange thinking. In other words, he let them think what they wanted to think, and we'll deal with that in a few moments. But in verse 25 is the key, because they exchanged the truth about God. The truth about God was exchanged for a lie. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do pray that you will open up our eyes, that we might see and understand a little more of what is in this interesting passage. I pray that you will prepare us to come to the table and to dine with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In this magnificent epistle to Rome, Paul is presenting a compelling case about the truth of theos, the truth of God. The Greek word theos uh, is what I've been using for this month. I want you to be able to see and know who God is. The Greek word theos seems to capture that pretty clear. In the first chapter, after Paul has been explaining to us about his calling and about his longing, he then talks about God's righteousness. He, he tells us from the beginning that he was called by Jesus to be an apostle or a sent one. And then as he goes on and fleshes that out, he says, my goodness, God changed my heart and I want, I want to serve. In fact, I have such a big passion, a longing that I really I really feel compelled to go to Rome. And he says, I want you to know this. I, I, I go out of my way to tell you that I've been hindered, but that's what I want to do. I want to preach to you. I want to tell you about this good news. Then he says, I'm not ashamed. Even though there's a lot of people that are in fear about being a follower of Christ, he says, I'm not one of them. I'm not ashamed of this Jesus character. I'm not ashamed of his gospel. And he says... When you understand it, when you know the gospel, it is the dunamis, the power of God. And he says, when you start to dive into the gospel, you end up seeing that there is a commodity called righteousness that's available that you can't get on your own. 
And that's why he says God has a righteousness that he is revealing. God has a way of declaring you righteous that you can't earn, discern, discern or buy, or even befriend. And so when you realize all this, then he launches into this explanation in verse 18 and following, where he's beginning almost a uh, two and a half chapters of condemnation, where he's going to show, hey, people don't deserve it. People are messed up. People are, to use his word, they're unrighteous and they're ungodly. They're godless. The people, the typical people in this world, the majority of people, the overwhelming uh, mob of people do not have a knowledge, an intimate knowledge of God. And so the Bible says there in our, in our text that the problem that people have that they had in the first century as well as now in the 21st century is the same problem they've always had. They suppress the truth that God has revealed. It is an active suppression. People choose to do it. It is willful. It is volitional, even though for them it just seems to be natural. They go about as if there is no God, or as the, in the book of Proverbs, the fool has said in his heart, there is, you can finish the verse, there is no God. The folly that, it, that they use and they think themselves to be wise, all the while they live disconnected from this knowledge of God. The apostle tells us that they don't want to process the truth. They don't want to handle the truth. Uh, it reminds me of that movie, The Great Line in, in A Few Good Men. You can't handle the truth. Maybe, maybe we do struggle with it. Running into a God who is great. It is not simply the truth about God, though. It is the truth of God. You see, I do believe that the truth of God is being suppressed, while I believe that some of the truth about God isn't. You know, there, when, when, when you look at your own soul, and the, the text tells us that people are without excuse. They really don't know the truth, the aletheia of God. But they seem to have some glimpses to know about God. So this knowledge is being kept from the public. And it will continue to be kept from the public because people that don't know God don't know how to talk about God. In fact, the people that don't know God, that live as if there is no God, have, not, have no God talk to talk about except their own substitutes for God. And you'll find that, that Paul addresses that in our third point today in the exchange. They do what comes natural to them. The truth of theos is excluded from their culture. It's almost like it, was, it has been canceled. It is not allowed on Twitter, Facebook, and all that. But back in those days, it wasn't allowed to be in their public speech. Hence, how many church buildings do you think that they attended? In Rome, during the writing of the epistle of, of uh, Romans, do you think that he wrote it to, to a place where people were meeting, where they had a steeple? If you, if you look back in history, you're going to find that people were even afraid to meet until Constantine became the emperor in the 300s, about 310 to 312. And Constantine had a dream, and he conquered, and he ended up having victory and became the, the leader in Rome. And when he became the leader, he attributed that to, to the dream that he had, and so he made Christianity popular. And it was his mother that said, hey... 
let's go ahead and build some churches over some of the holy sites about Christianity. And so if you go to Israel, you will see that if you go to where the, the Sermon on the Mount or if you go to Bethlehem, uh, where the church in the Nativity, or if even you go to the Holy Sepulchre Church, even though they're all Catholic churches now, they were all started and they were allowed and they were paid for by people who had been swept into the kingdom. But up to this point in time, they had been hidden. They had been suffered, suffering under persecution. The truth about God. People had heard that there was a God, but people didn't know God. And so this point of clarification is really what we have to answer in order to come to the Lord's table today. The point of clarification is that the truth about God is theoretical. The truth of God is personal. When you come to the table today, you should not partake if you only have a theoretical knowledge of God. This table is for those who know God, who have that personal relationship with him. I'm going to explain it. The Apostle Paul was, was targeting it here. He said that people have been suppressing it. The Greek word there is katekko, to hold back. They have been putting it down. Uh, just recently, Tracy and I have been relocating from one house to another nearby. And I remember one of the, uh, the bins that we had was filled with pillows, and, of course, we did the best to squeeze those pillows down and get the air out of them and then put them down and snap it closed on the, on the Rubbermaid bin. But somehow or other, the Rubbermaid bin wasn't strong enough because somehow or other, those pillows, they got bigger and they expanded and that lid would pop off. And I was always trying to push it down, to push it back. Stay in there, stay in there. I know that's an oversimplification, but a lot of times... People want God and the God talk and even the church business. Stay in there. Stay in your lane. Stay quiet. Let's agree to disagree. Let's, let's not talk about religion and politics. You know what I mean. We're living in the 21st century. And the suppression of the truth of God is so powerful upon us that we even have a tough time about speaking of Jesus even when you're in a hospital room and you're dealing with somebody that is facing mortality. Sometimes you're afraid to speak up. How cool it was as I visited one of our church members who just got home and he was telling me about how his Bible was on the, on the, uh, the desk where the food is and uh, you know, where usually they serve. And uh, one of the nurses came in with a downcast look and she saw the Bible and the joy that they had in knowing that God exists. That it's not just a going over the treadmill of run, 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 do, 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 perform, 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 get your paycheck and then spend it because everything costs so much and you, and you have to work harder because it doesn't go as far as it used to. You see what I mean, the rat race of life. And then when you start to realize that God is, and that the knowledge of God delivers us from all of that anxiety. That's why we can say, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Talk to God about it, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and following. 
Now, I want to be able to, to explain to you a little bit more that uh, a lot of people don't have a knowledge of God. I, I was just looking and found this article, and I thought it would be very educational for us by way of introduction. It's a long introduction, but it's talking about how the suppression of truth has taken place. As some of you know, um, there is a, a bunch of examples of suppression of the truth happening in today's world. And ironically, these testimonies, they're brief. I'm going to give you them like a rattle, rattle them off for you. Uh, but these are from people that used to go to church. Uh, since this is Black History Month, uh, they ended up doing a survey of the people that used to go to church from the black community. And I was pretty fascinated by some of the things that they said. So let me give you a little bit of how the truth of God is now suppressed and you can see that they don't have the truth of God, and that's why they've left. Number one, he says, first, I never wanted to go to church. It was something my mom made me do. Second, homophobia. The last time I went to church, it was a lovely and inspirational sermon until the pastor started disparaging comments about sexual activity. Even at my grandfather's funeral, the pastor managed to blame people for their bad behavior. Now, you can see right here that this church was supposed to be a nice place for him. He didn't find God there. He just found mean people. Another person said, when I was younger, the pastor and his family was allegedly involved in a scandal. You can see the word allegedly. A scandal that included a child, and no one would do anything about it because he was a man of God. I was instantly turned off to organized religion after that. That was the catalyst, and the more I grew up, I did some soul-searching, and I realized I could not believe in a God who would protect a monster in the, as a leader of the church. There was another person that didn't find God at church. Church was just simply a tool of enslavement and indoctrination. This person said, I stopped believing because my ancestors were forced to convert to what their masters believed. I'm sure that they didn't know anybody personally that could tell them that. I think they heard this from somebody's revisionist history. Plus, we pray so much and are some of the hardest believers. I mean, there are believers and they pray so much. Yet our lot in life remains the same, generation after generation. I didn't understand why we were suffering so much, even though we went to church and we prayed so much. So I stopped. I stopped believing and I started doing something else that became very successful. They exchange the truth of God for something else. A few more of these I want to highlight is there was this, um, this other person who said, the amount of gossiping that went on in my church was astounding even to me, even as a child. I always felt I had to be perfect or else I would, get, I would give someone else even more to talk gossip about. The irony of the judge not lest ye be judged Christians Christians were being the judgiest people I had ever met, and they lost me. Another one says, I was raised Catholic, but as I got older, I questioned the church and its teachings more and more. A lot of it started not to make sense to me. And then I discovered that I was non-berry and pansexual, and the church was forcing conversion therapy on me instead of just accepting me like they're supposed to. There was a suppression of the truth about God. And there's no knowledge of God. Another person who's a little older said, I'm 60 years old, 
Uh, he says, I'm a, a male, and I'm increasingly bothered by the comments and jokes about uh, sexually active people from the pulpit. I was a devoted and tithing member of a non-denominational mega church. In other words, I checked the box. I gave plenty of money. I was numbered with that big church. But my childhood years were spent every Sunday in that church. I began to feel more and more and more uncomfortable with the rhetoric that was justifying why sexual, uh, sexual liberty lifestyles were unacceptable. In short, I asked myself if this is what Jesus would say or do, and my answer was, no, Jesus wouldn't say anything mean like that. There's no knowledge of Jesus, just an idea about him. Some of these stories are really staggering to think that real people within the last week have given these explanations. I grew up in a church with pastors on both sides of my family, and it's overwhelming as a child to be told all the things that you can't do because it's sin, sin, sin. And if you do it, you'll go to hell. Don't get me started on that teaching about relationships and sex. I wasn't allowed to date until I was 17. Once I was 17, I suddenly realized open dating without feeling of conviction. Religion had played a huge part in me not dating or having sufficient relationships until my mid-20s. They damaged me. You feel bad for that guy, don't you? Or do you? <laughs> At a very young age, here's another one. I was forced to attend church. It was like a cult. I, I was cognizant of the so-called church body that I can convene with. All I did was look and listen. Attending church continued until I was in my early teenage years. But after all that, I have experienced and been uh, through, I, I, and been through, and though I made a conscious decision that I did not want to be in the same place with any of those people, which I will never do again. In other words, those church people, I don't want to be like them. I'm never going to get them, get around them again. A knowledge about God. Church was like a prison to him. He says, I didn't grow up in a church or a religious household. I was just told that God exists, sin exists, and went to a few summer Bible schools. As an adult, I wanted to grow my faith. The more I started reading, researching, and contemplating, I started to call it BS. It took about three years of combing through Christianity and, and, the, and the history of this group and that group, and then I finally said, honestly, I'm gone, and I never looked back. I'll give you a couple more. He says, God did not keep my friends from dying. I grew up in a, in a Baptist church in a religious extended family. My belief in some higher power diminished because of multiple reasons. Multiple friends of mine died. They died in the same year. It's like God didn't stop them from dying. There must be no God. I just can't fathom how a higher power also allows so much grief and hurt for at a personal level, as well as across all of society. So many people are victims. Mass shootings, violence, homelessness, assaults, so many heinous acts. They get explained away by free will. But why let people suffer in an all power, if an all-powerful being could make it better? I have to tell you, he makes some sense. But he doesn't have a knowledge of God. He just has a knowledge about God that includes some of his own imagination. 
Let me give you one more here. I would say that actually reading the Bible for myself without someone else's interpretation led me out of Christianity. He said, when I finally got to look at the book myself, once I read it fully, I saw how humans created a God in their image depending on their circumstances and their state of mind. In other words, I look at the Bible as being written by people and they wrote it in order to be a crutch for them. While Christians will believe their God is going to save them from ourselves, the work of being better stewards of the earth and of each other falls really on us. Don't play with this hocus-pocus religious stuff. He summarizes it by saying, we must evolve into better humans. <laughs> now, I've given you some of the suppression of the truth about God. There's a lot of people that have been in church and they never have met the truth of God. They've never met God. Today, we will do the opposite of suppressing the truth. We'll rather magnify it. I'm going to quickly go through this as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. I want to be able to see the truth regarding the theos, regarding God. We will not necessarily look at the invisible characters, but I want you to see the things that are clearly seen, the things that you can experience and touch and feel and even taste. First, the truth is magnified in the fact that God chose to make it plain. If you have your Bibles open, you can see there in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain for them because blank has shown it to them. Who showed it to them? If you could bring up that verse, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to people because God has shown it to them. Who does the showing? Who does the revealing? God does. God is in the business of making this known. The truth about God is, is magnified because God is putting it out there for people to see. In fact, the, the language of the text says it is plain to see. So let me read that again, verse 19. You can see it. For what can be known about God? Now we're not talking about special revelation, but about general revelation. The things about God, he says, the things that are about God are plain for people to see. And basically, it's almost like God put a show and tell out there for you to look at. If you want to have a little baby to learn how to read a book, what do you do? You read the book to him. You put it right in front of him and you show him what the words are and you show him what the pictures and you turn the pages and the children begin to see what's actually there, even though before that time they didn't. Now he says, God has made it plain to them because God has shown it to them. I, I, when you think through this for a moment, wow, God is in the business of revealing. I can tell you that even from Romans 1, he pulled back the veil regarding the gospel. And he says, there's a righteousness that's available. And then in verse 18, he pulls back the veil again and he says, if you don't have that righteousness that's available from God, then you're going to experience the wrath of God because it comes on all unrighteousness. But then he stops and he says, but listen, what's plain for everybody to see is what God has put on display in show and tell. I always put it this way. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. The display that God put out there for people to be able to see is what his creative power has produced. And when God produced this world, Ephesians 1.4, he did it with purpose. According to, the, to the, uh, the good counsel of God, he ordained certain things to come to pass. According to the counsel of his own will, he had a redemption plan. And he made a plan to implement that purpose. 
In other words, every one of you are included in the plan of God if you're a believer. Because in Romans 8, Paul's going to eventually get there. And he says, don't you know that it all works together for the good only to them who are called according to his purpose? If God has plugged you in, if God has called you, he's going to work you in to work out his plan because his redemptive plan includes having you have beautiful feet, Romans chapter 10, to go with the good news. He made a plan to implement his purposes, and then he implemented the plan. Philippians 1, 6 is my dad's favorite verse, and I repeat it quite often. Philippians 1, he that began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. He started it, and God's going to keep working on you. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has purpose for you to be doing. And if he started the work, he'll finish the work. And Philippians 3, verse 13 tells us, when you are caught up into this journey and God has given you this purpose, don't look behind. Press forward to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Move forward. What a delight. This is a part of God's design. He is a communicator. And just to make it plain for you. Now, second point is uh, the truth is magnified in the physical realm for all to see. And this is particularly creation. And I want you to be able to, it, when you step outside and you see the, um, when, when you feel the cold breeze, where did the cold weather come from? When you see the blossoms start to finally come in spring and you smell what's going on, or if you look at those little flowers that start to open up, or like my wife and I were working some yard work recently, and in, in our big bunches of grass, we see some green starting to come through. Where did that come from? Well, those people that suppress the truth will tell you that it just happened from a primordial soup that there was some kind of a big bang that happened, that they don't know how the big bang got started, but somehow or other in this big bang, there was a lot of chemicals that came together and they formed some kind of life. And it took billions and billions and billions of years, but those little things tried by trial and error, and the ones that actually worked ended up reproducing themselves by mutation. And all the mutations were actually for the good because you had to have good mutations, otherwise they would have died off. So over these billions and billions of years, there were some neat little cells that were formed. They all had little things that went inside. And then somehow or other, DNA just appeared with a, an intelligent design that's involved in it with all of those different chains that have to happen. And then you know that people came out of one, sh one track of this, uh, of this primordial soup and, and then plants came through another and animals came through another. And, and some of those things didn't get lucky enough to have a little bit of life. So they ended up being dead, like rocks. Like ground. And after all those billions of years, we all just showed up here and we're able to interact pretty well. So when I looked at my big pot of grass and see that little green shoot coming up, oh, there is no God. It's just all chance. It's just a product of because the earth somehow goes around at a perfect rotation, we know that after winter comes spring. Oh, but that's just luck. Because somehow or other the earth got tilted a little bit, almost as if somebody nudged it like that. But since there is no God out there, it's no explainable reason for it. Now, if you understand when he says that he makes things plain and clear, he says, look at creation. Verse 20. Please look there with me, if you will. Verse 20. For, for the invisible attributes, namely the internal power and Godhead, we're going to look at those next week, the invisible things. But I want to look at the visible 
They're clearly perceived since the visible creation of the world. Since we have these things that have been made that we can see, we can hear, we can touch, we can taste. It is, we can observe. We can even experiment on it. Because of creation, the world is without excuse. Now, you don't have to just do a ton of logical thinking. How many of you, when you look at this beautiful sunrise over the ocean that we're going to do on, on a sunrise service in Easter and April 9th, when we do that, how many of you are just going to sit there and say, wow, isn't that just a neat thing that it happened by chance? No, we all know, everybody knows that there is design out there. Everybody knows that there's order to some degree. And everybody knows that they didn't do it. How many of you here could, could boast that you created the world? How many of you were even able to make a plant grow? Oh, some of you might say you use miracle Grow and, and you're the cause for it. But think about it for a moment. You don't make anything happen because you're not... God. And, and that's what he says here in making this initial point about theos. The knowledge about God is so vast, it's so wide, it's so great, it's so grand, that if you were just to look at what God, God's handiwork is, you just, your jaw would drop if you go with me to Psalm 19. David, who was known for being out there with the sheep, not having a whole lot of uh, other things to do, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. If you could bring up us... Uh, the uh, passage in Psalm 19. When I look in the heavens, they speak. They declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. When I look at the ground, I look at the, at the lay of the land. Some of you have seen pictures. I've been watching a little bit on, on Fox Nation. They have this thing about the four seasons. I encourage you to watch it. They're basically cameras that have been tracking animals through the different seasons. And the first season, the one I've actually taken a glimpse at, uh, it is about a polar bear and how a polar bear survives the Arctic cold. I'm telling you, I think it's even stupid for the people that try to film this polar bear. I don't know how they survive, much less the bear. But the bear is able to, to, to live and, and, and the mother bear actually takes care of the, the one, the, the, the small bear until it gets through that season. And then the mother bear says, off you go never to be seen again. They live such solitary lives in the utter darkness. The sun doesn't even rise in the North Pole area, I mean, where they actually live. And you're just like, when I look at those things, I'm amazed. At the same time, they took us to the other side of the pole. Instead of it being cold winter, you go down to the South Pole and you look at these penguins that come in there. And boy, oh boy, they look like they're better in the water than they are in, in the regular land. These birds can swim way faster than any of us. But when they got there, the picture that they show is that there is a sea of penguins, thousands and thousands of them. And this one little Mr. Penguin gets up there and he's looking for Mrs. Penguin. And they all look alike. And the ground is filled with rocks and he doesn't have his nice shoes on and he has to go over all the rocks and he has to find his wife that he's monogamous with so that they can have one egg and he can help her to take care of it while it's winter, actually while it's summer down there. Now, the more I look at this creative world, 
The heavens declared. The firmament shows God's fingerprints. Day after day utter speech. Night under night shows knowledge. There is no language group. There is no people group. There is nobody that walks on this earth that's without excuse. There is order. There is design. And God has made it plain to them that there is a God. And a knowledge of God should not be suppressed. How bad it is that our children are being taught that there is no God. How bad it is that people, when they claim to be scientists, claim that there is no God that made this world. That they are trying their best to find missing links to try to support a theory that was made up by a disgruntled guy, Darwin, who didn't like his dad for a little while, a preacher man. Almost sounds like one of the guys who was suppressing the truth. The third point, though, is the application of all of this. The truth is magnified by the fact that God has chosen to make it plain to see. Secondly, the truth is magnified in the physical world for all to see by looking at creation. It is amazing what God has made and how he holds things together. By him, all things consist. But the third point, the truth is maligned by recognizing how it's been suppressed. People are without excuse because they have exchanged the truth of God for their own substitute truth giving their attention, trust, and glory to images of the creator. If you look down in verse 25, you can see it. They are lying because they exchanged the truth about God. In other words, the fact that should be clear and plain to everybody because God chose to make it known to everybody that has any kind of an awareness. I think even Helen Keller knew. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. We all know that we're not God. And we know that somehow or other it got here. And we are amazing, or as the Bible says in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our soul has to praise God because, wow. I mean, I have to tell you that as a pastor, when you go visit someone in the hospital and they tell you what's wrong with their body, I just, I'm always amazed. Not that something's wrong, but that there's not more things wrong. Because... Wow, these bodies have all these systems, the nervous system, the digestive system, the endocrine system. I mean, all these systems of the body have to work all the time in order for you to even live. If your skeletal system doesn't work or your muscular system or your digestive system or even the excretory system, it all has to work. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything that was made in creation, which includes us. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for deception. They lie about it. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. They have embraced an exchange. They don't want to deal with the spiritual realm at all. And so they basically ignore it. They cancel it. They cut it out. The knowledge about God is over. And now they want to have, you know, you can call it faith if you want. But you just create your own religion. It's almost like a la carte. You pick from this or you pick from this. Jonathan Kahn wrote his latest book about the return of the gods. Well, that's what people are doing. They pick the gods that, that, that tickle their fancy, whether it's a sexual one for pleasure or whether it's one that's got a lot of power or even one, get this, who can try to make heaven on earth with the Green New Deal. If you will just submit yourself with your, all your carbon flatulations and stop all that, then he will smile upon you and give you long life on this earth. And everything will be green and rosy or whatever it is that they put into that deal. Because the threat, instead of going to hell, is that you're going to drown because the waters of the ocean are going to rise and you're all going to be kept underwater. Almost sounds a little bit like 
the wrath of God in Genesis 6 through 9. It came down on Noah, not on Noah, but on everybody in Noah's day who had suppressed the knowledge of God. And the wrath of God was poured out on them. So what? Now that we know that they've exchanged the truth, now that we realize that people don't trust God, they don't even take the time to realize some of the little things I had written down, to see the geese fly in formation, to be able to see a fish that doesn't need to breathe like we do underwater, to see the monarch butterfly migrating all the way down to Mexico, and they don't even have a GPS to watch those polar, polar bears that I mentioned survive the long winters, to watch the dolphins as they spin around and try to get all the fish to go into a little bit of a circle so they can dive in and get the fish so easily, or to be able to watch how a giraffe with 18 feet tall doesn't pass out when it puts its head down to get a drink of water because it has all these chambers in its neck to keep the blood from pooling in the head, or a spider to be able to spin a web. It may not be as pretty as Charlotte's web, but I mean, it's amazing how a spider can do that. Or a duck in these cold waters that can sit on that frozen water. I feel cold for them. I could go on and on. But Psalm 2 says, What is man, O God, that you are mindful of us? You see, the knowledge of God is not sufficient just to know about God and to, by looking at his creation. There are invisible things that have to be made known. And some of those things are clearly decided and, and deducted that you can figure out. And we'll pick up more as we look next week about the invisible things that we know for certain. But that special revelation that God has revealed is that God does see you and me. And he does know what's going on in our lives. He's intimately aware of what your ailments are. He knows whether you are in pain. He knows not just if you've been naughty or nice. He knows where you're going. He knows what your intent is. He knows the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. And that great God, the knowledge of God, is that while we were yet in sins and trespasses, God came to fix that problem. He had already purposed before he made us that Jesus would be the one who would do it. The one eternally begotten of the Father was going to be sent, not because he had to, but because he loved to. For God so loved people in this world that he sent, he gave his only begotten son, that if you and I are resting in what he did on Calvary's cross, we would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a knowledge of God. It is an intimacy that all who are in Christ Jesus have. Are you experiencing that intimacy with God? Are you? The Lord's table is here. I'm going to invite the elders up as I pray, but let's consider this. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, we realize that you are God. We don't have to look very far to be able to see some of your fingerprints on things. And although there has been a major undertaking uh, by people in this world, by, by fellow human beings, to erase your fingerprints, to tell people that they're fools, to claim that there is a God, to even imply that to be a creationist is for you to be foolish and not even to be scientific. Lord, when we realize that we have come so far as that they try to explain this whole existence by chance, 
using billions and millions of years, which takes even more faith to believe that kind of a hoax than it would be for a transcendent God to say, let there be, and there was. Lord, I thank you that you have given us more than general revelation. You have revealed to us that you desire to be in fellowship with us, that you have reached out to where we are in this sin-sick, fallen world. And you have seen fit that instead of us leaning on our own understanding, instead of us doing what's right in our own eyes, you actually brought someone to us with beautiful feet who proclaimed to us the good news. The good news that you had seen fit to put down in Scripture, to inscripturate. For you, all Scripture is God-breathed. You put it there. And God, you had purposed that when the Word of God is proclaimed, that you would make it effectual inside of us. That the Spirit of God, who is proceeding from the Father and from the Son, would be able to take that Word and mix it with faith in us so that we would see you and know you. Lord, when we look at this table today, do we see juice? Do we see crackers? Or do we see more? Yes, we actually do realize that these physical objects are physical. But we see the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the good news that he who knew no sin, like the bread, was broken for us. And that we understand as it was the Passover meal that was turned bloodless. We realize that back in Exodus 12, that when the blood was seen, that your angel of wrath would pass over. Likewise, when the blood of Christ is applied to our hearts, that the wrath of God is going to miss us too. Because the love of God has already changed our souls. Lord, I pray that this knowledge of theos would cause us to run to the table. There's no other place we'd rather be. Jesus, you bid us come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what you really need. Rest for your weary soul. I have prepared a place for you in glory. But while I'm gone preparing a place for you, I want you to occupy. I want you to study to show yourself approved. And I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell this good news. Explain to people what's plain to them, that there is a God. But there is a God whose love is like none other. We thank you for this good news that we see in the communion. In Jesus' name, amen. During communion is an opportunity for us to show that intimacy with God. And as you receive the bread, this is something that only you can partake of. I cannot do it for you. Your parents cannot do it for you. Your children cannot do it for you. This is between you and Jesus. It is with your relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That yes, this is just bread, but it is broken for you. And only those who are going to partake of it who discern the body of Christ are worthy partakers. In 1 Corinthians 11, there was a warning. Don't treat this as a snack. Don't substitute it for lunch. This is a spiritual meal. And yes, it has physical things, and symbolically it physically is joined to you, and you're one with it, and it becomes you, and you're nourished by it. But the spiritual significance is that Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. 
The Bible says on the night in which he was betrayed, he broke the bread. It was the Passover. And he said, this is my body. Jesus was telling you the love that he has, that special revelation, to know God's heart. I'm doing this for you. I'm taking the wrath that God that's due upon your unrighteousness, your lack of ability to perform. I'm doing this for you. So he says, take and eat of it. As the bread comes around, I want to encourage you, those who have asked for forgiveness of your sins, to partake. For this is your individual relationship on display. Let us receive the elements at this time.